Awesome. That's the bumper video. All right. That's awesome. Hey, uh, so you guys always leave the lights down like that kind of ambiance thing? Kind of like? No, I mean, you know, if, if, if somebody wants to follow me in the word, but, uh, you know, sub- I, I don't, I don't want to rock the boat, bro. I don't want to rock the boat. I, I'm just, yeah. Oh, you don't, you don't remember that. Come on now. It's so good to see you this evening. I am honored and blessed in the Lord to be here to just share with you just some things that I think God has taught me down through the years about this hard subject that we're going to talk about tonight. I pray that God would richly bless you. Uh, you know, I was just thinking um, uh, many, many years ago when I was around your age or whatever, at my kind of a young adult youth kind of a deal. And uh, I uh, was hanging out one night, and uh, the guy that opened, kind of the leader of the group, was turning the lights off. And I looked uh, in the back. What I did, I actually, I snuck up to the pulpit. You know, back then it was called the sacred desk, you know. And you don't mess with the pulpit, but I got behind there. And I was just kind of, you know, seeing how it feels and all this. Kind of feeling like God was calling me to ministry, but, you know. And uh, I look up and I look through the foyer uh, glass back there and standing there was an angel. Didn't know she would be my future wife. (laughs) And I saw her and I forgot all about the ministry. (laughs) And I asked the the leader, I said, who is that? He said, it's my sister. I said, man, they didn't introduce me, brother, you know. He said, introduce yourself. And I did. And she's in the back tonight. There she is. Amen. Amen. Stand up, honey. Come on. (laughs) Amen. My sweetheart. Amen. Well, so good to be here with you. So I maybe maybe I just shared that to give some of you single guys hope, you know. And uh, you'll see her. She'll walk through and you'll boom. You'll forget about everything. Amen. But uh, so delighted to be here with you and to share this message with you. And, um, you know, I pray that God would richly bless you, would, would uh, speak to your heart. I want to share with you some words, and, and these are, you know, kind of things you hear when you're in pastoral ministry that people don't think about a lot of times, but everybody thinks that everybody that comes to church is, you know, a Christian and, and is doing just fine, you know. But the church is a hospital, is it not? It's a place for people who are wounded, who are sick and all. And Jesus came, amen, for the sick and not the well, but for the sick folks like me and like you uh, to heal us and to touch us. So the church can be a challenging place at times, especially when you get an email like this first thing in the morning. This was a, a little while ago, and it's from a friend of mine. He said, I'm disappointed with Jesus, angry too. People from all over the world, whole churches prayed for my brother's healing from COVID. My twin brother, and he mentions his name, died January the 10th, 2022. Why do we pray for healing? It was a bitter letter, and uh, it was one that, you know, you go, (laughs) I don't know what to say. I I did respond. I I told him that, uh, you know, I was sorry to hear about his brother passing, and I told him that no matter uh, who or who uh, uh, they are, whoever anybody is, nobody can really provide a rational human reason for his brother's passing i went on to share with him that that god god's ways are not our ways and and uh, i went on to say to him that uh, we mourn but not as those who have no hope and then i shared with him uh that uh, god uh has been my help in times when i've struggled and asked those hard questions why I went on to tell him that, you know, I'd be praying for him and all of that. But what do you say? Anybody ever had anyone approach them like that or ask him that question? You know, you know, you tell them about Jesus and everybody's singing about Jesus and everything. You know, but that but when we're in that honest moment 
and, and somebody says, you know, I'm angry with Jesus. I'm mad at God. Because things happen in our life that we don't get it. We really don't understand. Why would God allow bad things to happen to good people? Or how could a good God allow bad things to happen? I think sometimes we forget that we do live in a fallen world. It's not a perfect world. When Kevin Tina asked me to come and share with you, my first response was, wow, what a powerful and timely message to, to talk about. This, that hard question a lot of believers to, you know, kind of avoid in their life until they find themselves in a crisis. And, and how could God allow this to happen? I have a lot of questions like that. Things that have happened in my family, in my own life. Lord, why would you allow bad things to happen to good people? Not that I was calling myself good, amen, far from it. But Lord, why would you even allow this to happen? Anybody ever ask that question? Nobody? Raise a hand. Come on, somebody. Amen. We all do from time to time. And so when Kevin Tina asked me to, to talk about this, I thought, oh, what a timely message given what's happening in the Ukraine, given the fact that our dear sister Brooklyn is no longer with us. Lord, why didn't you heal her? Why didn't you stop this war? And I thought, well, you know, they're giving me this message, this title. I'm going I'm to just share with them what I know. And I thought, well, it's probably going to be the shortest message I've ever preached. Because the short answer to why God allows bad things to happen to good people is, I don't know. So let's go home. <laughs> I don't. I don't really know. Yet, what I've learned over the years is that when I don't know, when I find myself in a situation where I don't know, I fall back on what I do know. You know, we get wrapped around the axle, as they say, around that which I don't know, rather than relying upon what I do know. I hope what I have to share tonight will bless you, but I know that it will be inadequate to answer all of your questions. Because we're all disciples and we're growing in the Lord, and everyone here is at a different place in their life in growth, and, and, and we're continuing, continually learning, and, and, and uh, no one has arrived. Paul the Apostle said, I have not arrived. I have, don't have it all figured out. So I fall on what I do know. What I do know is God is good. I pray that this would help you to realize tonight that uh, the Bible calls us children of God, that we are God's children. Well, it's always interesting that the Bible doesn't say you're adults of God. Some of us feel like we're adults of God, amen? <laughs> you know, I know so much, I, could, I, I memorize a lot of scripture, I've been around the church for a while, I'm a, an adult of God. No, God always sees you as a child, amen? He sees us as children, and as children... A child, you think about it, ultimately trusts in not the why, but the who. The child always trusts in the parent, mom and dad. They don't always know why. You know, trying to explain why to a child is like trying to explain quantum physics to a child. Amen. Or, or the federal government tax system, you know, sit a toddler down and go, this is, this is the way it works, you know. <laughs> it would be ludicrous. It would be foolish to do that. And in the same way it is, so it is with God. There's things that he does. We don't get it. And even if he explained it to you, you wouldn't comprehend it. We just don't get it. Listen to these scriptures. 
you should write them down. Or maybe you got this great memory. You can remember these. But I'm going to give you three scriptures here that explains that the fact that we're children. <laughs> God's the parent. And there are some things we just don't understand. Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Romans 11, verse 33. Oh, the depths of the richest both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Did you get that? Past finding out. Then why do we spend our time trying to figure God out? His ways are beyond our ability to find out exactly what he's doing. And then Job chapter 9, verses 10 to 12, says he does great things past finding out. Yes, wonders without number. If he goes, if he goes by me, he says, I do not see him. If he moves past, I do, I do not perceive him. If he takes away, who can hinder him? Who can say to him, what are you doing? You know, he passed by you tonight, and you didn't even comprehend it. The things that he's working in your life, you have no idea. None of us can say, Lord, what are you doing? His ways are past finding out. And then Isaiah 55, verse 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are the ways, your ways, or his ways, my ways, the Lord says, higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I think this is so important for us to comprehend this or, you know, to understand this scripturally, though we don't, don't understand everything that God does, you know, but to comprehend that the fact that I, God's ways are past my ability to find. In other words, God doesn't think or work the way I do. And I think this is where we get, you know, sort of con the confusion comes in and the unbelief because it just doesn't compute in our minds. We have the, 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 the finite mind of man trying to understand the infinite mind of God. Now, here's the question. Should we never question God? I, I love the Lord that, you know what, <laughs> sometimes we think we are, we are God's first problem. But you're not God's first rodeo. He's been there, done that, got the T-shirt. He knows how to deal with you. And we think somehow, no, it's not, God, you haven't figured me out. I'm very complex. <laughs> no, he knows you better than you know yourself should we never question God and, and I think we can question God and uh, you know at really at times uh, you know because <laughs> God's not going to fall off his throne because you don't understand what he's doing he's not going to say I quit you know because you can't comprehend his will he's still God we can you know you think about it, if a child can question the parent <laughs> Cannot the children of God question our Father? Because there's some things we just don't get. Yes, his ways are past finding out, but there's nothing wrong in saying, Lord, why is this happening? I mean, Psalm 13. <laughs> Psalm 13, you, you go back and read that, and David's like, Lord, how long? How long? How long? What's going on? But then he would say at the end of it, but Lord, I'm going to trust you. Read it, Psalm 13. Lord, I'm going to trust you. David questioned God. So don't feel like I'm sinning if I question God. No, ask questions. But David was also a man after God's own heart. In other words, the why was never bigger for David than the who. He could ask why, but then he would always come back and say things like, you know, uh, um, you know Lord, you know, I'm going to trust you. Yet I will trust you, the, the help of my countenance, the, the lifter of my head. I don't get it, Lord, but my trust 
is in you. So there's nothing wrong in, in questioning, maybe saying, why do bad things happen to good people and all? But, Lord, I don't get it, but I'm going to trust you because why? The who is bigger than the why. I'm going to trust in you. Again, just like the child. They may ask questions. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? You know, why is it taking so long? Why is it taking so long? You know, but they still trust mom and dad. They trust the who more than the why. David was a man again after God's own heart, but he questioned the Lord. But despite his fears, his failures, and his flaws, he never forgot the who of his faith. I want to talk about this because, you know, I don't, I'm not here to give answers why bad things happen. You know, every situation is different and all. But, but to remind us of the who. To remind us that our, our hope needs to remain in the Lord. It, it, it's, and think about it this as well. It's one thing to say, Lord, why does God, or to say, well, you know, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? But even more troubling in my heart sometimes, to be quite honest, is, Lord, why do you allow good things to happen to bad people? You ever think about that? People say, oh, why is this bad thing happening to this good people? Why are you, Lord, blessing somebody that is evil? Well, <laughs> there's reasons for that. If you turn to Psalm 73, we see there in Psalm 73, the, the psalmist addresses this question or, or, make, or asks this question of God. He starts out, just like all of us start out in verse 1 in Psalm 73, and he says, Lord, I know you're good. And probably everybody in here I would ask tonight, you know, is God good? He goes, oh, yeah, God is good. Lord, I know you're good. But then in verses 2 to 12, to 12 you know, he reveals his struggle with what he sees. And what does he see? He sees the wicked prospering, and it looks like the righteous are being forsaken. And he's asking the question, you know, why bad things happen to good people? But even more than that, why are good things happening to bad people? That's the one that baffles me. I don't know about you, but that's the one that baffles me the most. <laughs> you know, because, you know, I want to see people get theirs. <laughs> You're not like me. All right, okay. But I want to say, I want to say, Lord, get them, you know. And, you know. And God blesses them. One of the reasons why, just got to tell you right up front, the Bible says it's the goodness of God that brings men to repentance. Wow. There may be that person in your life that you say, oh, God, get them. Hey, so-and-so had a car accident today. Oh, great. Because <laughs> you're out there, you know, oh, I just want something, you know. But don't rejoice in that. Amen. Bible says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I'm so glad vengeance belongs to the Lord because if it belonged to me, this earth would be toast. <laughs> Especially all the people who've done me wrong, right? <laughs> you go look up all your old girlfriends and stuff. No, anyway. Vengeance is mine. I will repay some. But the Lord is good. God wants, he doesn't want anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. We can't get our minds around that sometimes. And, and, and it just seems like, man, Lord, what, what's, you know, what, why are you being good to that person or what have you? Know? Don't, again, the answer we find in Psalm 73 can be applied to why do bad things happen to good people and why do good things happen to evil people? Same answer can be applied. Why do these things happen? We'll see here. In just a moment, there are times in my life, and then there's nothing, again, there's not anything wrong with it, where sometimes it's like, Lord, what's up? You ever do that with God? What's up? I do. Lord, I don't get it. There's a real sense of frustration in Psalm 73 in verses 13 to 15. If you'll read along with me, I think, you know, my eyes are bad, but <laughs> turn it, you guys are hard to see quick. All right. But here in verse 13, he says, he says, surely, no, he's lamented in verses 2 to 12, going, man, what's going on? The wicked's being blessed and the righteous elect being forsaken. God, what's up? In verse 13, he says, surely I have cleansed my heart in vain. Have you ever felt like that? Why is this bad thing happening? Surely I've, I've gone to church in vain. Surely I've read my Bible in vain. Surely I've done my devotions in vain. 
because this thing, I don't understand this thing that I'm seeing. And why is the good being forsaken and the evil being rewarded, it seems? And he says, and he says I've, I've, I've cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence, for all day long I have been plagued and ch chastened every morning. Verse 15, if I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generations of your children. I wouldn't be speaking the truth either. He's frustrated with the whole situation. Verses 13 to 15. You notice in verse 14, he's really hit a wall. Again, arriving at a place where our finite minds are wrestling with the infinite mind of God. It's like, this doesn't make sense to me, Lord. Why is this happening? Look at verse 16, Psalm 73. When I thought how to understand this, I had a brain aneurysm. It was too painful for me. Have you been in that situation before? When you tried to figure out what God, it was too painful for you. He said, I'm having an, uh, an aneurysm here, spiritually speaking. I don't get it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, but the natural man or woman does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him or to her, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritually, who, who, who is spirit, spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So I'm starting to begin to understand, in order for me to understand or to, to be able to not be overwhelmed by what I see, I need to have the mind of Christ. I need to have the mind of Christ. Do you have the mind of Christ when you, when you judge things, when you see things happening? In order, do you have a, that spiritual mind, the mind of Christ? It's so important, and we'll see here just a little bit as we read further in Psalm 73. The conflicts that we often find in our faith is really the result of failure to enter the sanctuary of God. I'll say it again. The conflicts we often find in our faith is usually because we fail to enter into the sanctuary of God. I know it's for me. When I don't have the mind of Christ, I, I, I you know, things, I, you know, I, I get crazy. Amen. If I don't have the mind of Christ. And, and then sometimes we find ourselves, and I think we live in a culture today where, where we have sort of this uh, um, oh, spiritual consumerism. God owes me. God owes me something. And I've often said, it's so true, God the only thing God owes us is hell. <laughs> we, we earn that. But he's given us grace. We have this spiritual... You meet people like this, they have this spiritual entitlement mentality. God's got to do this for me. And I asked God, and God didn't do it, and I'm, you know. I asked God for a spouse, and all my friends are getting married, and I'm still here. There is no God, you know. <laughs> I'm entitled. I went to church for a whole month. <laughs> it's, it's a spiritual entitlement, and we have it sometimes. I, I, I get like that. Verse 17 to 20, and the reason the psalmist is so distraught, he finally figured it out, thank God. Sometimes we have to go run into walls sometimes, spiritually speaking, before we finally figure it out, whoa, I need to spend time with Jesus. He says here in verse 17, he says, until I went, he said, I was perplexed, man. I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. My, my brain, I had a spiritual aneurysm in my spiritual mind. I, 
until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood therein. Who's therein? The wicked. The people that you see on television, that just, oh, you know. And, of course, we live in that age, and I'm an old-time guy. Okay, I get it. So I may not say these things right. But, where is there, you, you know, the, the uh, <laughs> there I go. <laughs> say, hey, what, is, what is the photo thing? Everybody's in, Instagram, whatever. I don't know what it's called. I don't know what it's called. Pictures. People post on Facebook and things like that. Everybody's having a good time. You, you know, there's a, a street is where there's like an illness from that. People look at that and they think everybody's having a good time but them. And there's like a mental illness that, that, that people have by looking at pictures posted on Instagram or on Facebook and everybody's always, hey. you know, it's like everybody's living but me, man. It's a lie from the enemy. Getting true perspective is to make sure I spend time in the presence of the Lord. He calls it until I entered the sanctuary of the Lord. Then I then I could see their end. He says in verse eighteen, surely you set them in a slippery place. In slippery places, you cast them down to destruction. In other words, those people out there look like they're having a good time and and not walking with God and doing all this thing. They're walking on a greased plank. And at any moment, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? See, God opens your eyes to these things. You know, Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and then lose his soul? And the things that we think we ought to be chasing after that we believe are a picture of success be the very thing that brings us down, that destroys our life. We have to be careful. Nothing wrong with success. Nothing wrong with prosperity and having a good time. I love it. But that's not the goal if I truly want to live. The goal is to lose my life in Christ so that I can truly live. Surely you set them in a slippery, slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Verse nineteen: Oh, how they are brought to dis- to desolation as in a moment. You may have known people who've just you're here. Yes, I just saw them yesterday. Boom, they're gone. Tomorrow's not promised to any of us. They are utterly consumed with terrors. Verse twenty: As a dream when one awakens. Or one awakes, so Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their images. Doesn't gain us anything to have the whole world or to envy the world. The Bible says, do not envy those who are sinners. Don't do not envy the wicked. And yet the whole world is set up for us to envy the wicked. But when you enter the sanctuary of God, you sober up. When you enter the sanctuary, the presence of Jesus, you get a different perspective on life. One that leads to life rather than destruction. The natural man has only a temporal view of life. And that's why sometimes we say, God, why do bad things? Because we're looking at the temporal. The natural man has a temporal view of life, but the mind of Christ, the man or woman with the mind of Christ, have a mind of faith and they can see afar off. They can see beyond the hype to the hope that we have in Christ. That person knows that the Lord knows the end from the beginning. And they can trust God with what they don't. Listen, what they, <laughs> you can trust God with what you don't understand. A little bit over a year ago, I was uh, driving my mom to (laughs) one of her many doctor appointments, (laughs) and I had an accident with my mother in crime. It was a bad accident. Thank God, airbags deployed and all that, and she was fine, and went to the hospital anyway. Everything was fine, and I'm still sitting here scratching my head, Lord, why did that happen? There are other things in my life that I've seen that have happened. Lord, why, why 
Why did it happen? And, and I've learned that I can trust God with what I don't know. Because if not, the devil will take that and begin to fashion it into a hammer and beat you over the head every day with it. And then begin to convince you that God doesn't love you. But the truth is, Father knows best. That's an old TV show from the 60s, isn't it? Way before your time. Amen. But he does know best. And I can trust God with what I do not know. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17. If in this life, think about this, if in this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Wow. If all I'm doing is following Jesus so that I can be prosperous and, and enjoy the temporal things and I'm not focused on the eternal, if all I have is hope in Jesus in this world only, in this life only, and I can't see beyond the temporal, then you are a pitiful individual, the Bible says. If that's all Jesus is to you is a, a pay raise and a date, pitiful person because he died to give you so much more amen I got one amen from from Kev because he's on staff but uh, <laughs> I ain't saying amen <laughs> no God is good like the psalmist in Psalm 73 uh Many of us find ourselves discouraged sometimes because we have not gone into the sanctuary of God and therefore we suffer from spiritual nearsightedness. We cannot see the long game. We cannot see that God is in control, that God is sovereign even over this. We've got to go into the sanctuary of the Lord. A believer's life the sum of, a, sum of a believer's life is not measured by the temporal things of this world. But they are measured by the eternal outlook, the eternal promises, really, of God. And so we read here in verse 21 to 25 in Psalm 73, Thus my heart was grieved. I get grieved sometimes. You know, I get grieved. You get grieved when you see things. You know, the, the, the good, like they're being forsaken and the wicked is prospering. Your heart is grieved. And this guy is just being honest. My heart was grieved. And I was vexed in my mind, you know, confused. I was so foolish and ignorant, however, he's confessing here, I was like a beast before you. Lord, I was like an animal. I was totally in the flesh before you. Craving the things, the temporal things of the world, you know, and, and ignoring that which is eternal. I was like a beast before you. And sometimes we get like that. We act like animals before God, you know. And we're living for our cravings and our appetites. And we're forsaking that which is true life. He said, man, I was like a beast before you. He says, nevertheless, I love this, I am continually with you. Isn't that amazing? That, that, that when you act like a beast before God, when you're so consumed in your flesh and you just want to seek your, you know, what satisfies your cravings of your flesh and all of that. And I, I'm talking, you know, it's not, I'm talking about, you know, hey, I, I crave donuts, so I'm sinning. No, I'm not saying that. It's, I'm saying, you know, for someone who's, you know, craving that, those things that you know that would be an offense to God. That even in those times, he says, but I am continually before you. I mean, how many of you think that when I'm all jacked up, God abandons me? That's not what the psalmist says here. Listen to this. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire besides you. Isn't that beautiful? Lord, even when I'm acting like a beast, God holds my right hand. The right hand is the hand of favor. Biblically. 
God says, even when you're jacked up, I hold you in a place of favor. My hand is still on you. And not only that, I will guide you with my counsel. This is why we need to go into the sanctuary of the Lord. To be in the presence of Jesus. So that he may hold us and he might guide us with his word and inevitably receive us in the glory just as he did a sister Brooklyn. Thus the psalmist concludes in verse 26, Psalm 73, verse 26, My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. See, I, I used to think that, Lord, I could not fail. If I don't understand what you're doing, I get frustrated and I kind of blow it or whatever. Lord, that, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm out of your will or whatever, and God doesn't like me, and God let go of my hand and say, Go on down the road, boy, you know. <laughs> no. I don't want to act like I'm giving license for sin. It's not. But God knows you're going to fail. My flesh and my heart fail. But God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. What is he saying there? He's saying that my flesh and my heart is not my portion. Some of us are living as if our flesh, you know, our prowess, you know, our, our, your, your, you know whatever, your physical appearance and your heart is your portion. It's going to lead me in the right way. No. The Bible says your heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. You can't even know it. That's why I've got to get in the sanctuary. God can help me to discern the truth about my heart. Otherwise, I'm going to be overwhelmed by what I think. Lord, you've abandoned the good and you're blessing the evil. And I don't know what's going on. The devil can deceive me. Listen. Your flesh and your heart will fail. Because there's some things I see and I don't get it, Lord. But I'm going to trust you. Why? Because you are my portion. Not my ability to understand or to feel it in my heart. But you are my portion. Flesh and heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion for how long? How long is that? Forever. What's the Hebrew word for forever? Forever. It never ends. God does not expect you and I to be supermen and superwomen. I know some of you think you're super. There's some guys in here who think they're supermen. Yeah. <laughs> Wait till they discover me, you know. Some women feel like I'm a superwoman, you know. God doesn't expect us to be supermen and superwomen. I'm so glad. None of us are perfect. That fact, the Bible says in Psalm 103, verse 14, for he knows, that is, God knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Here's another one, brother. Dirt. We're dust. So God doesn't expect you to never make a mistake or to never have fears. What he does expect us to do is to trust him. We do not have to completely understand our flesh and our heart. Our flesh and our heart will fail at times. But the good news is that God is our portion. So when he comes down to things, Lord, why you allow bad things to happen to good people? And why are good things happen to, to the wicked, to the bad? I won't, I won't try to even the score, Lord. You're my portion. My focus will be upon you. But the Lord, again, is our everlasting portion. And that word portion in Hebrew is interesting. It means, it's, it's the word uh, helic. Helic meaning smoothness. Check this out. Seductiveness. Flattery and possession. It's like God is my thing. Amen. God is my flame. Jesus is, 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 is the one who has seduced me. You know, when you're under somebody's seductive power, you're you out of your mind. Amen. 
we used to say back in the day, your nose is open, you know. And, you know, of course, the horses and mules, you know, nose will be open, whatever, around the springtime. Amen. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. But, you know, your nose, ooh, you're under their influence. That's what it means. Lord, you're my portion. He's our influence. You're my possession. Why does God always, or why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Or why does God allow good things to happen to bad people? Well, no one can emphatically know, but we do know who. God is the who. The Bible says that the just shall live by faith. Pastor, now you haven't answered my question. Why did this happen? The just shall live by faith. Why did, as my friend wrote to me, why did my brother die? His brother, by the way, was a, a great Christian, great father, grandfather, businessman in our community, someone who deserved to be healed. But God took him home. Who can explain that? No one can, I don't believe. That's why the Bible says the just shall live by faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Trusting in God's truth in his word is really our portion. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 13, verse 31, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Everything we see will pass away. Everything we hope in, everything that's temporal will pass away. So I want my trust to be in that which is eternal. Faith is not faith. Listen, faith is not faith. I haven't heard anything else tonight. And how much time do I have, Kevin? Am I not done? Okay. All right, just put the hook on me, man. Pull me. <laughs> faith is not faith unless it, faith possesses a nevertheless. Faith is not faith unless it's faith that possesses nevertheless. It's got to have nevertheless in it. You hear people talk about Oh, I have faith in my faith. Eh, that's not going to work. My faith is in Jesus. My faith is in God. But it's a faith that says nevertheless. Luke chapter 22, verses 41 to 42, it says, And he, that is Jesus, was withdrawn from them, that is, uh, uh, his disciples. Um, and the Bible says about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Now, did you catch that? You have to think about that sometime. Father, let this cup. Jesus did not want to drink the cup of crucifixion. He knew he came to die for our sins. Don't get me wrong. He, I, but he's, he, look, Father, you know, it, since I've been down here, have you found another way? <laughs> Will these folks be saved? I, I, let this cup pass from me? But then what did he say? Nevertheless. Do you have a nevertheless in your faith? Or do you give God an ultimatum? That didn't happen the way I thought it should happen. That didn't happen. Why is that happening like that? Okay, I'm out of here. That's not faith. If God doesn't do what I want him to do, then I'm out of here. That's not faith. Well, he didn't do it the way I wanted, and I needed, you know, and it didn't happen. I'm out. That's not faith. Faith possesses a nevertheless. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Do you have a nevertheless in your faith? We have to have it, especially if you're going to, walk with the Lord today Jesus said in John chapter 4 verse 34 he said my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work my food my substance that which nourishes my soul and my life gives vitality to me is to do my father's will is it our food is it nourishing to our soul to know that as long as I'm in your will, Lord, I'm nourished. 
And I may not understand what's going on over here and over there and why that happened to my life, but I know I'm in your will because I'm seeking you first in your kingdom and your righteousness. And that nourishes my soul. Not that, you know, I got what I wanted, that nourishes my soul, or, or people applauded me, that nourishes my soul. No. Am I in your will? As Mother Teresa said, God has not called us to be successful, but obedient. Amen. God's will must be our food. And then, of course, sometimes people will ask, well, well, why does God allow this to happen? Sometimes God allows things to happen in your life, and everybody's different, but, you know, everybody's in different places. Sometimes he allows things to happen to show you what's really in your heart. He puts you in those stressful situations. You didn't get the job. You didn't, you know, your girlfriend broke up with you. Whatever it is. To reveal what is in your heart. I look where it says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. It says, and you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way. These 40 years, speaking to the children of Israel, in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. God will put us in situations like that, man. I hate to, you know, I don't hate to tell you. I'm going to tell you the truth. Sometimes it tests us to see what is in our heart. But the reality, he does that not to condemn us, but that he might heal us. God says, look at this. You know, that's ugly. Is that from me? Yeah, that's from you. Yeah, that's like, hey, you know, you repent of it. God delivers you. You know, we don't understand what God is doing or whatever, you know, the unbelief, the bitterness in our heart. He shows us that sometimes. <laughs> Jeremiah 29, 11, you know it well. The Lord says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, regardless of what you think is going on in your life or shouldn't have happened or should happen. And my thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, they are thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. I'm so glad God knows my future better than I do. When I look at the world, and I'm landing the plane here, amen. When I look at the world, you know, it blows my mind. The situation in Ukraine is interesting. And yet we had a Zoom call with Ukrainian pastors today. And I heard Franklin Graham on a news outlet the other night say the same thing. You know the church is alive and well and thriving in Ukraine. You won't hear that in the news. They have not left the building. The church is there feeding people, clothing people on the front lines. Believers are worshiping God in the Ukraine. I think the Ukraine, in the Ukraine right now, revival is broken out. People are filling churches and coming to the Lord, and even the surrounding countries are turning to the Lord. And even in this country, it's causing people, you know, have trepidation and fear in their hearts and going, what's going on? And coming back to the Lord. Revival is breaking out in your lifetime. People go, why is this happening? But God has a greater agenda, and even what the devil meant for evil, God is turning around for good. Amen? You watch it. You watch it. God doesn't want to see people lose their lives and, and all these things happen, but God takes the plans of the wicked and uses them for his own glory. Our dear sister Brooklyn, I mentioned her before, but she has left a memorial stone in this church of faith. And when you find yourself struggling and going, hey, you know, I, you know, my teeth aren't white enough or... You know, <laughs> I don't have a six-pack abs or whatever. She was in a wheelchair and praising God. What's our excuse? To me, she's a memorial stone of faith. She's left that with us as a gift. What kind of gift will we leave to others? Complaining and murmuring and God didn't do that for me and unbelief? No. Let us not leave that behind. So we don't always understand why bad things happen 
to good people or why good things happen to the wicked. But here, of course, we do understand is that God is in control. John 16, I'll close. Jesus answered them, the Bible says, and he says, do not, he said, do you not, do you now believe? Amen. <laughs> I love that, that question to the disciples. You've been with me all this time. Do you now believe? He says, indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come that you will be scattered each to his own and will leave me alone. That's interesting here, just a comment is that, you know, he, he's saying, you know, the time's going to come. You know, Peter's boasting, I'm always going to be there with you, but they're going to run like rats off a burning ship and scatter. And I think of the persecution in the early church that the Lord allowed to come to the church in Jerusalem. And if he had not allowed that calamity, not that he's behind the evil and all, but if he had not allowed that to happen, the church wouldn't have grown any further than Jerusalem. But because he allowed it to happen, the gospel spread all over the known world at the time. So we can't understand, why, Lord, why is this happening? Why are people hurting us? <laughs> it might be so he light a fire under you so we'd be about his business. But he says, you know what, you guys are going to be scattered. I'm sure that wasn't good news to them. Each to his own and will leave me alone, and yet I am not alone. You remember that, please. When you don't understand what's going on, you're not alone. God is still with you. Because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, here, here, here's a scripture most Christians don't like to re memorize. But in the world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. Amen. I have overcome. 